Grab a seat, if you will. Grab your Bibles. So glad you're here this morning. Thank you for being here, making worship a part of uh, the priority of your life as we come together this morning to express that in one of uh, many forms. So thank you for being here. Um, You know, I was thinking there's a word that uh, often, especially this time of year, becomes just kind of a part of, of, of who I can be at certain times. I struggle with this oftentimes throughout the year, but it particularly I struggle with it at this time of year. It's a word that uh, I would say is the word distracted. It's something that happens to me a lot. It could be one of the reasons, as many of you kind of know the story, some of you don't know the story, but I fell off of our roof about three weeks ago or two weeks ago, putting up Christmas lights, fell off the roof uh, completely. I was trying to think back a little bit about kind of what happened. It happened, all happened so fast. The next thing you knew, I ended up in the middle of a bush and thank God that the bush was there. Moses had his burning bush. I have what we call around our house now the holy bush because there's a giant hole in the top of this bush now where I fell. Um, I've heard there have been certain church members that I've been talking to that have made pilgrimages to this holy bush. They've come and they've checked it out and, and, and have been able to see that it is indeed there. But I was thinking, man, how did that happen? Next thing you know, I was in the middle of this bush. I thought I'd been impaled by some of the stuff in the bush there and the sticks that were sticking. I was like, what happened? And honestly, what was happening was I was up on the roof and as I was putting that up, I was having a conversation with another person that I was going to be talking to the next day about something that was kind of going on in my mind. Does anybody else do that? Okay. I was having that conversation. I was going through that conversation and I ended up stepping on a part of the gutter and the gutter gave way. I fell off. And so I was a little bit distracted and that's what happens for a lot of us at this time of year. We often are distracted. My to-do list is about twice as long as what it normally is throughout the year. And now it's something that can continue to grow. Hope and I, as we share the same kind of phone service or whatever, uh, and the same account, um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, through the cloud thing that's available there is the kind of phones that we have, um, we can add to one another's to-do list, which is very interesting, where I might think my to-do list is getting smaller now, and now certain things can appear on my to-do list. It's a virtual honey-do list has been created. And I don't know that that was ever the intent of technology, but it's something that has happened. And so we all have tons of things that we need to do. We all have places that we need to go. I mean, there's there's so much thing that's so many things that are going on, things that are on our agenda and they're not necessarily bad things. There are programs that we go to. There are, you know, uh, there's shopping to do and choir concerts and parties. And I mean, there's so much that's going on. It's just incredibly uh, easy for us to become distracted at this time of year. You've got the shopping to do, which, by the way, I'm just convinced is one of the reasons that God has created regifting to cut down on some of that time. How many of you have ever regifted? Would you raise your hands this morning? Again, why I love EBC. Okay, great stewards of God's time and God's money. And so you've got shopping to do, the parking, the baking, dealing with traffic, the toy assembling. Last year, we kind of brought this up and we did a whole series about this and we called it the holidays last year, because when you go through this time of year, it's like the intensity level is up. 
you've got more things to do, more, more places to go. And they start putting Christmas trees up in August and, you know, it's still a hundred degrees out. And you start seeing that every single year, the shopping days are backing up further and further. It's not just Black Friday. Now they have Black Friday, the preview weekend before, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's going on. And so there's words like stress, financial pressure, distraction. You know, I mean, over and over again, I tell myself every single year, I'm not going to let this time of year get to me, but I find myself becoming more and more distracted. If I'm honest with you, there, there are times where I should be drawing closer to God and celebrating his coming that if I'm not absolutely deliberate and I'm not intentional with this, I mean, I really can, uh, can lose my focus on Christ in the midst of the one that we're celebrating. My Bible reading time and my time in prayer can begin to suffer if I'm not deliberate, if I'm not intentional. That's something that I found to be true in my own life. Maybe you've experienced the same thing. I was visiting with a buddy of mine the other day. He's a newer believer. He's not been saved for very long. And uh, as I was talking with him, he was saying, man, I bet you're really getting, uh, having to gear up and get ready for, for the big attendance of Christmas. And, you know, I'm sure December is a huge month. And, and you know, it's interesting because that was his expectation. And, and I said, well, you know, you, you probably you would think that, but truth be known as every church I've ever been a part of, you find that some of the largest times for attendance in church is when school starts back in e- around the Easter time. But oftentimes we will find uh, that this is true as that attendance can kind of soften in the month of December. It softens in, in the month of December. Sometimes even giving can kind of go down a little bit in the month of December. And when I was talking to this guy, again, he's a new believer he was kind of taken back by that. He was like, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem right. It seems like this would be the time of year where people would really be focused more in on those kinds of things. And I said, well, I think just a lot of times what happens is as people get, we just often get overwhelmed with our schedules. We've got a lot of places to be, a lot of things to do, a lot of places to go. And, uh, and so we get overwhelmed with this. And what we want to be certain of is that at EVC, What we are going to be certain of and what we want to make certain for you as as a believer is that you don't miss it this year. For, For many of us, Christmas comes and goes really fast. Before you know it, December is over. Christmas Day is here. It's come and gone. And in some cases, maybe you have never even really stopped to reflect and think about what it's really all about. And so we want to be certain that that doesn't happen here at EVC, that we're not missing it, that we do get it. And maybe you can even be a person that sheds some light and peace around others who maybe feel overwhelmed at this time of year. So as we get into the teaching today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 is going to be our main text. And you can go ahead and begin turning there with me. We'll also look at a few other passages, one in Romans. We'll look at one in Matthew But I want to just begin, before we get into God's Word, just doing another kind of form of worship that really has become a lost form of worship. And it's just us actually being still and being quiet before God. So I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. Before we get into the teaching portion of this this part of our worship experience today, I want to just ask you to bow your heads and and, and just quiet before God. You may need to recalibrate your Christmas spirit. 
and just seize these few quiet moments with God. Lay aside the distractions and all the things that you know you need to do. God wants your complete attention, your focused attention in worship this morning. So let's just be quiet. Many of us, the silence as our heads are just bowed before the Lord is something that maybe for some of you, it's very welcome as there's so much noise in your life. It's just actually nice just for something to be silent. To be silent before God, to commune with him. You might make this your prayer for others. It may be really awkward for you. Because we are used to so much noise all the time. This is really a lost part of worship. Is the stillness and quiet. Maybe to make this your prayer to God today. Would you just pray, God, help me to be able to slow down internally. Maybe you cannot change your schedules, but... Maybe you would ask God to slow you down internally. Make this your prayer. God, help me not to miss you and why you came, what you've done in my life. Help me not to miss you or be distracted with the busyness of this time of year. And you might make this a part of your prayer also. Lord, now, I open my heart, I open my mind, Lord, to the things that you want to declare into my soul today. Would you speak to me from your word? Here I am, Lord, teach me. Father, thank you. Thank you for just a time to be able to reflect and to be quiet. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your church. I thank you, Lord, that this is a, an opportunity that we have to come and to express worship that we've experienced even all throughout the week, that this is a celebration of that today, us ex- expressing other forms of worship before you today, Lord. Thank you for Jesus and what he means to us. And all God's people said, amen. Well, as, as we decided to do this series called an EVC Family Christmas, just as we can get sidetracked and distracted at Christmas with, from actually doing and, and, and reflecting upon the things that really matter the most, one of the things that happens is a lot of times churches, we will oftentimes get sidetracked, we'll get distracted, we will uh, think that what makes us successful as a church is maybe how many people we have coming on a Sunday morning. How many people can we get uh, sitting in chairs on Sunday mornings? The more people we have, the more successful we must be. A lot of times churches will begin to think this way, that the better the attendance, the more successful they are. And, and that's not always necessarily the case. 
Or maybe the amount of, of, of activities that we have planned on a calendar, if it's a really busy calendar, that must make for a successful church. And that's not always true either. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of people that are coming and worshiping or having a lot of great things planned. But we know that that is not what necessarily makes a church successful. What makes a church successful is whenever a church is doing the very things that God has called uh, that church to do, that God has laid out clearly within Scripture. And so what we try to do is every year we revisit our purpose as a church our success is, is, are we fulfilling the purposes that God has given us that we see in God's word? And just as you needed to recalibrate, maybe to find the Christmas spirit, and I have to recalibrate and sit before God and be still and quiet, I think that, that it's wise whenever a church recalibrates and, and gets back to a place of being focused upon what we have absolutely been called to do by God. So, so let's revisit what our, our church purpose statement is this morning. And some of you, you know this by heart. And, and hopefully if you don't, you will begin if you're a part of EVC. If you want to know what Eagles View Church is all apart. Uh, and what we're about and, and, and what, what we want to be a part of, then, uh, then this is it this morning. And so I'm going to ask you to, to read these out loud with me. If you can also get the one on the back, please. Um, read this out loud with me um, as we say these together. We are about what? We are about extending God's kingdom, loving God continually, and connecting with one another. Let's say it out loud again together. We are about what? Extending God's kingdom, loving God continually, and connecting with one another. Now, last week, Pastor Randy did a great job of talking about the first part of what this purpose statement that we have uh, is uh, all about. We're about what? Extending God's kingdom. And, 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 and he did a great job of talking about how just as Christ has come into the world as the light, well, we're called to be the light of the rest of the world around us. As we've been looking at the Christmas story, what we find is that these purposes that we have of our church, which are all biblical, by the way, we find them in God's scripture. We also find them in the Christmas story that as God was about extending his kingdom to us. Now he's called us to extend the kingdom of God to others, just as he's been light to us. We're called to be light to the rest of the world. That's what one of the things that we're supposed to be doing. And Randy talked last week about all of the many different ways for you to get involved here at EBC in being light to the world around you. And you don't have to just do this through Eagles View Church. You're called to do it just in the way that you live your life and extending the kingdom of God. We highlighted some of those things in our last weekend service. We talked about our EVC Go Restore Project. We talked about the drilling of water wells in Honduras. And now we have the opportunity this next year to, to build a school in Honduras. Next year, we're going to be doing another restore project for a veteran uh, that is in need of help. And we're, we work with our Laotian community and are, are beginning to build a deeper relationship there as we're preparing to go to Laos in February on a vision trip to see how we can also engage that people group. We're involved not only globally, but we're involved locally and we're involved in Saginaw Elementary. And so many of you are involved in what happens in that school as it's in such close proximity to our church. Many of you are involved in blessing the teachers and we've been invited by the principal who is also a believer to come into the school after schools and share the gospel with these kids. I mean, that's a ridiculous thing to think of that we have that opportunity. We are being asked to come and share the gospel with these kids. And 
A number of you have said, I want to get involved in that. We're engaged in Community Link. Tomorrow I have the, the great opportunity to meet with, with, with someone, a, a friend of mine, who's also a part of our church that's involved in, in planting churches in, in, in the northern part of Northern America, up in Canada, in Montreal, where their goal is to plant 50 new churches in that area. And tomorrow I get to meet with him to hear that vision of how all that's going to come about. I'm not sure what's going to come out of that meeting, but it's just exciting to me that we're always having, that God's always presenting new opportunities for us to get involved in taking this witness of what Christ has done in our lives to places all over the world. That it's not one day when we become a bigger church or one day when we get out on our property, that's when we start doing those things. No, EVC, we've been doing those things from the very inception of our church. From the very beginning, it's in our DNA. Jesus told us, as you are going, make disciples. Not church attenders, make disciples, share the gospel of peace, give people who need a drink water, give those who need justice, justice, meet their needs, help those who are cold, find warmth, sponsor, you know, as we have an opportunity to sponsor children through Compassion International, 30 plus families of EVC have, have gotten on board with that and are making a difference in a child's life. And there's just so many ways for you to get plugged in and extending the kingdom of God. It's not any one thing. It's us being certain that as a church, that we've calibrated our church, that that is a laser focus that we have is extending God's kingdom. Now, what I want to talk to you about today is another part of this purpose. And if we're not doing this as a church, then we also, we need to, we need to get to a place of being focused on this. And this is this aspect of loving God continually. Everybody say that with me out loud. We are about what? Loving God continually. So what does that mean? Loving God is simply put this way. It's, it's through different expressions of worship. We are called to glorify God through different expressions of worship. And we can talk about a few of these this morning. As a church, we're to be doing this. Uh, and, and you may be thinking, well, that's exactly what we're doing this, this morning. Yes, that's only one form or expression of worship is gathering with another group of believers. We're to be doing this. And there's a key word in this. Do you see the word continually? Why do you think we have that word continually in there? Because as it's different expressions of worship, it's not limited to any time. It's not limited to a third service or a second service or a first. It's not limited in these walls. What we are called to be doing, as we'll see this morning in God's word, is we're called to be living our lives as an expression of worship before God. In the manner in which you live, your life, in everything that you do is to be loving God in the way that you live as a response to God's grace. It's not limited to an hour and 15 minutes or 20 minutes of music on Sunday morning. We oftentimes misunderstand what worship really is. It's so easy, as I said, in this time of year to get caught up in the culture and, 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 and to do what the rest of society does at this time of year and, and being so fast-paced that we can oftentimes make even this time of year about everything else when what we as believers need to come to the conclusion of is this time of year is about celebrating the incarnation of the Christ. 
The fact that Christ came down to slow down enough to consider what what Christmas really is about. God putting flesh on, coming to reconcile us back to himself. When you begin to ponder all of the prophecies that were foretold and the intricacies of those prophecies and how they were fulfilled, whenever you come to see Christmas for what it really means, your immediate response can be nothing other than true worship. But sadly, what ends up happening with many believers is true worship becomes the missing element of the monstrosity that the Christmas season can often become. It becomes the missing element. And and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing all of these other things, the decorations and the spending time with family, the getting together with friends, the exchanging of gifts and looking at lights and all the family traditions that you might have. I'm not trying to go Scrooge on you this morning. But apart, though, from true worship, those things are actually an utterly inadequate response to the reality of the Savior's birth. You see, those things are to be born out of your heart of worship. They are expressions of what starts as a heart of worship. Key thought for you today, if you're taking some notes, is that our first priority in all of our Christmas celebration should be the nurturing of a heart of worship. That's the priority. That is above all else. And so everything else that we do should flow out of our adoring hearts. It should flow out of our adoration that we were declaring earlier in our worship service uh, for what Christ has done in his first coming by by making us able to have relationship with God through Jesus. And, And so when I speak of worship, we're not talking about just religious activity. We're not talking about a a, a specific time or a specific place. We're not talking about something that must happen within the confines of a church building or at an altar or at a place where you're kneeling in a closet. It might be that in some respects, but that's not not all that it's limited to. There's so much more that comes with this. What we want to revisit in the Christmas story this morning is discovering that it is an absolute state of your heart that dictates what your worship is going to be like. What we've learned in past series is that as we've talked about worship at different times in our history of a church is that is that worship is something as this expression of what's going on inside of our hearts. It is where your attention is focused So you need to ask yourself, what has my attention? Where am I focused? Where are my finances? Where am I investing my time? That's typically what you worship. So it's your focused attention is what worship is. And and there is, as we've said in times past, there is certainly a war that is going on for your worship. So what we find is, is that the Father, as Jesus says, is actually seeking people who will worship him in a genuine kind of way. Jesus was having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. She was not a believer uh, and and did not really recognize who he was at this moment in their conversation. And, and, And she, as he begins to talk to her about what true worship looks like and begins to talk to her about living water and why the Messiah had come, she starts kind of getting religious in her in her speech back to him. And he says, let me tell you about what true worship is. John 4, 23 in the ESV, it says this, but the hour is coming. This is what Jesus said. But the hour is coming. And then I want you to, to read this next part with me out loud. What does the next phrase say? The hour is coming and is what? And is now when? It's now right here. 
It's, it's right here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father, say it with me, how in spirit and in truth. Now, what, what does it say next? Read the next part with me out loud. For the Father is doing what? He is seeking such people to worship Him. So the Father has come seeking. What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? This isn't the main part of our, of our main text today in Luke, but in spirit and truth, in the original language, the way this phrase plays out, it could actually be translated in a truly spiritual kind of way. In a way that's not disingenuous. In a way that is not hypocritical. Um, what Jesus was saying as she was trying to say, you Jews, you worship in this place. Well, we Samaritans, we worship over here. What Jesus was trying to say is, look, it goes beyond a specific place. Beyond a specific time or a specific ritual or a mode of worship. What he was getting at is what the Father is actually seeking in all of us. He's seeking someone that's going to be genuine and truthful in their form of worship. You see, the, the Jews were, were great at their, their religious pomp and circumstance and all the rituals and keeping the letter of the law. They were great in all of this and they knew how to have religious festivals. They knew how to make great music. They knew how to be loud in all of their festivals. And, and yet what we would find is that the religious leaders would lead in these festivals and yet they would treat their fellow man horribly. And this hypocrisy was a stench in the nostrils of God, as the book of Amos would speak of, and other minor prophets would speak of this, and major prophets would talk about how all the religious festivals were a stench to God because there was no worship in spirit and truth. And so what Jesus is saying is he's looking for the kind of worship that is truthful, the kind of worship that a person's heart is genuine, the kind of worship that uh, whenever they're living their life of worship, they're not living this kind of double life where there's hypocrisy in their life in the way that they treat people and the way that they act in worship towards God. He's saying it's all congruent. They live in such a way that it's congruent is what this is. And so there are many examples in Scripture that show different forms and methods of worship. But worship, as Scripture portrays, it's always intensely practical. It's always involving sacrifice. Worship always involves gifts. It always involves giving of oneself. Worship always involves service to others. And Paul writes about this response of worship in Romans chapter 12 uh, you, you can just look on the screen if you will. But what Paul writes is in the first 11 chapters of Romans, it's all about how we are saved by God's grace. And he's saying, look at what God has done for you. And now this is how you can respond and should respond to what God has done. Look at what Romans 12 says. And he says, so dear brothers and sisters, it's written to believers. I plead with you. Now, what does the next thing say? I plead with you to do what? To give. And what are you to give? You're to give your lives. You're to give your bodies to God. And now what does it say? Read it with me out loud. Because of all that he has, say it with me, all that he has done for you. Give to him because of all that he's done. You don't give to him uh, of yourself because you're trying to get him to accept you or earn your way to heaven. He's already done that. When you've placed your faith in Christ, he's already given you the gift of eternal life. What he's saying is because you have that now, your response is to be a life of worship. 
a life of offering yourself to him. He says, let your life, let them be a living, a holy sacrifice. And then this is the kind that he finds acceptable. The kind of what? The kind of worship. This is the kind of worship that he finds acceptable. Read the last part of the scripture with me out loud. What does it say? This is truly the way to do what? To worship him. You see what I'm saying? Is that you could come week after week after week. You could come 52 uh, Sundays out of the year. And you could come and go through maybe a form of worship. And you could still live a life that was completely out of sorts with God. And God's saying, that's not what pleases me. What pleases me is that your life is congruent in the way that you live. What I'm getting at this morning is that Christmas should be a time of worship. I'm not suggesting that we eliminate everything but formal forms of worship. Rather, what I'm saying is that we need to recalibrate our Christmas experience and let it all start with a heart of worship. That worship should rule how we celebrate this time of year. This morning, uh, as you turn to Luke chapter 2, I want to just show you uh, a few different instances of of characters in God's word that we see who worshipped and loved God continually. We see it in different forms, though. Let me give you some examples just quickly. We see first, we see the shepherds were ones that worshipped with urgency and priority. I love this passage because I love the fact that God sent his angel, the angel of the Lord, not to the religious leaders. He didn't send them to the the most astute as far as those who knew the most uh, scripture or those that were the big high priest of the time. He sent his angel announcing the birth of his son to the common everyday man. He sent them to the shepherds who were not the cream of thought to be the cream of the crop. They were the everyday working man like uh, like we have here at EVC who we are. We are the everyday person. We are the broken. We are. And, and this is who God came announcing his son to. When you read this Christmas story, they dropped everything else. These everyday people dropped everything else to attend his birth. Look at Luke 2, starting in verse 8. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, and in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field. And what were they doing? They were keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord, this is what is called the Shekinah glory of God. It appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. I mean, we we would be as well. You want to talk about an X-Files type experience, right? Okay. As this happens, as they're out in the field, they're working the midnight shift and the glory of the Lord shines to them through an angel. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, he said, fear not for behold, I bring you uh, good news of great joy that will be for all the people, not just the Jews, not just men, but will be for all. All of the people, it'll be for Gentiles. It will be for for all people everywhere. And it says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And we said what pleases God is true worship, true worship. 
And so you have peace whenever there's a true spirit of worship within you. When the angels went away from them into heaven and the shepherds then said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And I want you to notice specifically in verse 16, it says, and they did what? And they went with everybody say it. They went with haste. They went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby living, or, or excuse me, lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. We'll come back to that in a second. The shepherds did what? They returned. They were glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So here are these ordinary, everyday working men working the midnight shift. And God announces the birth of his son to these guys. He announces and he says, this is going to be joy and that's going to be made available for all people. The rich, the poor, the Jew, the Gentile, men and women alike, all people everywhere. And so what do these guys do? They drop everything that they were doing. The Bible says that they went with haste. I mean, it didn't have to have this word in there, but it says they went with haste to where Jesus was. They were excited about this. They dropped everything and went to be in the presence of the king. They, this was the first Christmas rush, if you will. They made haste to be in the presence of the Messiah. The newborn king was the, the top of their agenda. And it's an example for us that the newborn king, why Christ came to save all men, if they would put their faith in him, these guys, they couldn't keep quiet about it. They worshipped him with urgency. They worshipped him with a priority. They had to tell others about what God had, had told them. And, and again, what I find in Scripture and what we always want to do is make certain that what we're teaching you is also something that we make very practical for you. Scripture is very practical. It's something that you don't want to just learn this and not do something with what you're learning today. It's very practical. There's application to be able to be taken from this. Uh, the, the application for you in this could be, is Christ the priority in your worship at this time? Uh, not only this time of year, but at all times. Is he your worship as, as far as the way that you live your life? Is he the priority in your worship? Also, another way that this might be practical application for you is, this is a great time of year for you to share with others who there is more of an openness at this time of year for those that don't know Christ, for you to share what God has done in your life. As you actually reflect and marvel at what God has done, for you to begin to maybe just dialogue and invite other people to come and hear what God has done in your life. And maybe you even take some of these cards that we have had printed up, that, that Kyle has designed and has printed up. And what they have is just an invitation to come and experience on the 23rd our big country Christmas. You know, in a big country Christmas, there's got to be something fried that's going to be happening that day. You don't want to miss it, okay? And so we're, we're going to have a big breakfast that morning. We're going to come. We're going to have on that day, we're going to have a group or, or, or members of a band that's called Cadillac Sky that's going to be coming. And they're going to be leading uh, us that morning in Christmas carols. We're going to have a big party celebrating what Jesus has done and the fact that he has come on that day. 
This is a great opportunity for you uh, at this time of year to say, hey, I'd just love to invite you. If you don't have a church, come and check out what's going on at mine. We'd love to have you come and have breakfast with us. And, and, and so uh, the shepherds, when you look at these guys, they couldn't keep quiet about what the Lord had done in their lives. And so I encourage you to maybe pick up some of these invite cards in the back and you can invite others. Or maybe you can just begin to dialogue about what God has done in your life and about what the coming Messiah has meant for you and how he's changed your life. He, maybe he set you free from something in your life that was an addiction and you can talk about that. There's another response that I see in, of worship in this Christmas story. And when we look at this, I see it secondly that Mary was one who worshiped through quiet reflection. You did that just a, a few moments ago as we were quiet before God. A, a time to worship through quiet reflection. To actually be still and be in awe of who God is and what he's done. The shepherds, as they were in their haste, and they were in the midst of their evangelism, sandwiched right in between this as they were praising and glorifying God, the scripture, Luke, brings us back to the place of noticing Mary, this young teenage girl who had given birth to the Son of God and was now reflecting upon all that God had done in her life and she was reflecting upon what God had brought her through over the course of these nine months that she had been pregnant with the Son of God. And now she's given birth. Look at what Luke 2.19 says. But Mary did what? She treasured up all these things. And, and, and we've been talking about this being a, a place, a, a, a heart of, of worship. Look at what it says. She was pondering them. Where? Pondering them in her heart. Mary worshipped through quiet reflection and through awe. And, and, and the things that Mary must have been treasuring was the fact from the very beginning that the angel Gabriel came to her and told her that she had found favor, highest favor among all women before God, that God had taken notice of her, that he had taken notice of this little teenage girl, that she was chosen by the Most High God to bear the Son of God who would be called Jesus, whose name means He who saves the Messiah. And now she's reflecting upon all of this, that this child would be supernaturally conceived through the Spirit of God being upon her. And Mary worshipped through quiet reflection of not only that, but all that God had brought her through. Do you imagine the hardship that Mary must have faced as she was pregnant, as she was engaged and betrothed to be married and she was a virgin and, 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 and knowing that people were looking at her funny and all this. And now God has brought all of this about in this great culmination of the birth of the Messiah. If you back up in Luke chapter 1, you see that Mary had a response of worship. And it's recorded in Scripture as she was pregnant with the Messiah. This is what she says in Luke chapter 1 as she's visiting with her cousin Elizabeth. And it says in verse 46, it says, Mary responded to this great news. She said, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. This is the deepest place of her, of her human being. How my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one who is holy. And, and look at this. And he, he has done great things for me. You see, this worship came out of a reflection 
on what God has done in her life. And Mary said, he's done great things for me. I wonder if we'll slow down enough during this season to treasure up all the things that God has done for us. I mean, there are all kinds of things to consider. Maybe the roof that's over your head. Maybe the, the, the cars that you're blessed with that you have to drive to be able to go to the job that you have. To be able to, to have the food that you eat and, and the, the family that you enjoy and all of these different things. And if that's not enough, I mean, uh, the physical aspect, what's more than enough is the fact, even if you don't have any of those things, what you have through Christ is you have eternal life, the greatest gift. Where you were separated from God now because of Jesus coming into this world and bearing your sin and bearing my sin. We have relationship with God. We've been reconciled to God. She said all these great things that he's done for me. This quiet time with God is something that I find if I'm not really, as I mentioned at the beginning of the talk today, really deliberate that I find that because of the busyness of this time of year, if I'm not careful, I can find it'll be two or three days before I've read my Bible. I don't know about you. I'm being honest with you, okay? If I'm not really intentional in making certain that I'm quiet and that I worship in quiet reflection, in, in awe before God, if I'm not really deliberate, this can be a time that I, I wake up and I go, wow, I missed a few days of even worshiping the Lord through quiet reflection of Bible reading, through my prayer time. I don't know. I'm, I think I'm probably talking to the right people today, okay? What we want to do is just another practical way of being, uh, of coming alongside you is maybe some of you, you know how to have a Bible study. You know how to read your Bible every single day. Maybe even those of you that do know how to do this, uh, maybe you've become so familiar with the Christmas story that you look at it and, and, and you don't find yourself being filled with awe at what has happened uh, there's something that we're wanting to do to just help you through this. There's, there's a, many of you have this Bible app. It's a Bible app that's called YouVersion. And you can have it through uh, an app on your phone if you have that kind of phone. Many of you can have it if you have tablets and you have iPads and those kinds of things. You can have it on there. If you have internet by access, you can go to the web, their website. But what they have is they have a great Bible reading plan that is 25 days called Rediscovering the Christmas Season. And, and, and how many of you have the Bible app already? Would you raise your hands? Okay, many of you already have that. How many of you have internet, to ac or internet access? If you don't, we need to talk to you and say, come into the 21st century, okay? Here's the deal. Rediscovering the Christmas Season. I, I want to challenge you. If you don't already have a Bible reading plan in place, what if you would say, between now and Christmas, I'm committing myself to every single day taking a few moments out of my day and quietly thinking and reading God's word, rediscovering the Christmas season. You can find that reading plan on version. If you already have something else going on, praise the Lord. Rock on with that, okay? But if you don't, and, or maybe you're looking for something that's going to help you focus in on Christmas, rediscovering the Christmas season is a great Bible reading plan. Would, would you commit maybe to these next 25 days or so to, to seeing what God will do in that time of quiet reflection. What I also noticed about Mary was Mary, after the, uh, Gabriel had come to her and had told her these things, you know, she must have been thinking, man, what are people going to think? What does my fiance say? Joseph going to think about this? This could be really difficult. But her response, even in the midst of the difficulty, in verse 38, Mary said this in chapter 1 of Luke, Behold, I am the, what does it say, church? I am the 
the servant of the Lord. She, in essence, said, God, whatever you want to do with my life, my life is yours. Do you know what that is a picture of to me? Romans chapter 12, verse 1, presenting myself as a living sacrifice. Here I am, God. I'm yours. You use me however you want to use me, even though I don't understand uh, how we're going to work through some of these things. I'm your servant, God. Worship always involves sacrifice. It always involves giving. It always involves service. I'm yours, Lord. And the final thing I want to show you today that we look at this morning is this, uh, this, uh, that the Magi, this group, these guys worship by bringing Christ. What we'll say today, they were financial gifts. This was another form and expression of worship. It's interesting how Christmas focuses so much around the gifts, right? Um, For most of us, what Christmas is about, it's about the gifts. Gifts are something that are significant because it costs us something. We want to let people who are important to us in our lives know that they mean something to us. So what do we do? We give up something and we give them something. Unless we're re-gifting, right? That doesn't cost anything. All right? And, and so gifts, they cost us something. And I love, uh, as, I, as I'm growing in the Lord and, and as I'm becoming uh, hopefully more like Christ, what I've discovered is I really love to give to other people. I love to, to be a giver more so than just someone that's receiving. Now, I would be flat out lying to you if I told you that whenever I was a kid that Christmas for me was all about the giving of gifts because I would be a liar. For me, it was all about, as you know, it was all about receiving. It was all about getting. I, I mean, I was so into Christmas. Christmas for me was about what my mom and dad were going to be getting me. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying straight up. And, that's, and they were great gift givers. And we always experienced that. And I was such a punk little kid, I couldn't even wait till Christmas morning. I was such a punk. My mother would wrap these gifts. She would hide them, go to great lengths to hide the gifts. And I was such a punk kid. I would always, I couldn't wait. I would go, I would find them. I would unwrap them. I would play with them when maybe she would be gone. And now I am convinced I am the reason why the toys now are like deadbolt locked in and you have to have all kinds of tools to get them out. That's because of me, all right, and kids like me. Because I would go, I would take them out, I would play with with these things that she had uh, gone and bought for me, and then I would come back and in a disingenuous kind of way on Christmas morning, I would be so surprised by what she had gotten me. And and I I remember doing this with video games. I'd play the video game, and and then I'd wrap it back up, and my mother, she was on to this. She was ring-wise, but... but this, it was all about what I was getting. As I've, as I've grown and as I've, as I've gotten older, I got to tell you, it's different for me now. I can't often sleep at night on Christmas Eve because I love what I get to give other people. I can't wait if I found maybe the perfect gift for my wife or I found a, a great gift for my kids and I know it's something. I get so excited. This is my personality. I, get, I can't sleep on Christmas Eve. I'm so excited about that. Uh, you would think, you know, we always hear about the kids getting up first. I'm always the first one up. I'm always up before them. I can't wait to see them come in and see what we've gotten them. It's funny, you know, how we get so excited about giving in this way. And when I look at the Magi in this story, these guys came bearing great gifts. 
They were financial gifts that they were bearing. And who were these guys? And we don't have time to go in great depth about them today, but they were, they were what were called magi. They were also known by many of us by tradition today. They were known as the, the wise men. Tradition has dictated that there were three of them, probably because there were three certain financial gifts that were made. But, but there's not necessarily true that there were only three. There could have been dozens, if not hundreds of them, who had come seeking the new Messiah. Where were they from? They were, it says they were from the east. They were likely from the Medo-Persian empire from the east. This is where Babylon had once been. And they were not likely, as we sing about being kings, but they were of a royal lineage. They were known as king makers. They were king makers. They were often attendants to a royalty or a, or, or, a, or a king. They were like when you read in the book of Daniel, whenever the king would call for interpreters of the dreams that he would have, these were the guys that they called in, the magi. They were the ones that were called. They were astute when it came to the arts and the sciences of the day. They were well-versed in the study of stars and astronomy and astrology. They were well-versed in, in, in not only uh, world history, but Hebrew history. And they especially were familiar with Jewish prophecy regarding Messiah. Say, so how did these guys know about this? Well, it's because they had interaction with people like Daniel and other exiles that had come from the, the Hebrew people. And they had come and they became familiar with this. And so these guys were very powerful men. They were very wealthy. And, and God decided through his sovereignty to draw them to himself through a star that they would likely follow for hundreds, if not thousands of miles and you say, well, what was this star? Was it, was it a star that's out? We don't exactly know what this is, but what we do know is that the Shekinah glory of God was a part of this. And it was leading them and drawing them to the Christ as they were following this glory of God, the same kind of Shekinah glory of God that, that led the, the people of Israel through the, through the wilderness as they came out of Egypt in a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. It's the same kind of thing that was leading them to the Messiah. These guys, as you know, they came through Jerusalem and we won't go into what happened with Herod, King Herod. Uh, you can read about that. And then they left Jerusalem as Herod was seeking to worship in a false kind of way. He wanted to kill the Messiah out of jealousy. Scripture tells us in Matthew 2 that they ended up in Bethlehem as they were following this glory of God. They ended up at the house where Jesus was at. And you should know that this did not occur on the same night of the birth. It was likely about somewhere between two and three years after. And so here they are with their large entourage showing up. They were likely riding uh, royal horses and, and others attendants were following with them. And so it must have been quite a scene as they showed up at Jesus's house with his mom and with his stepdad, Joseph. And here's what Matthew 2 records of it. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And I find this to be really interesting to me. And what did they do when they saw they fell down. And what did they do, church? They, they worshipped him. Now, I, I've, I've uh, 
been in a, a place where I've worked in child care. I don't always do or get a chance to do that now, as Liz knows, because I'm teaching the Word of God. Many of you, you work in, in child care and you work with toddlers and you work with them. And I know some of them likely have brought you to your knees at certain points, okay? But not in worship. This to me is fascinating. It says, and when they saw the child and they saw the glory that shone around his home there, they fell down and worshiped him. And their response was this. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. These were the first gifts that were given, right? At Christmas, I guess. What were the gifts? And they are significant. They were gold and they were frankincense. And it was myrrh. They got excited about giving these gifts as a response of worship that was due for a king. Why gold and frankincense and myrrh? Gold pointed to the royalty. It was something that would be brought before a king as a gift. The frankincense was often used in Old Testament times as part of a sacrifice and would be left on an offering. It was a kind of, it was a, a kind of fragrance, an expensive fragrance. And this was pointing towards his deity And what about the myrrh? The myrrh is a curious gift to bring an infant child or a a toddler. The myrrh was, was something that would be used to embalm the dead. And so this is an interesting thing. It was pointing towards a sacrificial death on behalf of humanity. But they were giving financial gifts. They were all expensive gifts. Giving is always a part of our worship. The giving of financial gifts, the giving sacrificially, and I say it unapologetically, Scripture makes it abundantly clear that giving of gifts is a part of our worship. It's part of what we're called to do. God has blessed us. It's an acknowledgement of what we have is really His. It's interesting as we give gifts to everyone this year and all the ones, and we're not saying don't give gifts. That's part of just being generous. But it's interesting that that often the one whose celebration that it's all about is usually the last one to get anything. One of the things that we've decided to begin to do and to make a part of our EBC tradition here, a part of our worship is as we continue to press forward with extending the kingdom of God in so many different ways. And and we've talked about all of those ways by water wells and, and by restore projects and all these different things. You know, I would be lying to you today if I said that all of those things, they are great things and they are great things to have vision for. But great things always cost something. For us to be able to do these things, for us to be able to keep reaching out and extending the kingdom of God, to keep on planting churches and being involved in those kinds of things, it it, it takes a financial financial investment. As a response of our worship, what we want to begin to do every Christmas is we want you to consider giving what we are calling our first gift. Our first gift is a presentation to the, the, the king, as, as, as a presentation to Jesus, as we are about extending the kingdom of God. What we are going to be bringing is what is called our first gift, a financial gift to give to him our first and our best before we give to anyone else. This financial gift that we're going to be bringing in this month is not going to go towards a church budget. It's not going to go towards a piece of property. It's not going to go towards pastors or their salaries or anything like that. What we feel that God is leading us to lead our church is to every penny that comes in, that it's going to be sent right back out for the gospel. 
through missions, through church planting, through, uh, through clothing those that need clothes, through uh, feeding those who need food, through giving water to those that need a cold cup of water, through, this, through the gospel being propagated uh, all over the world. That's what it is going to be about. It's 100% towards missions. This is what we know is close to the heart of God. And so what we're asking you to do in response is a part of our worship. We, all, we, we, we quietly reflect. We also make it a priority. But we also we bring financial gifts. What we've done is we've, we've got these boxes here. They're just empty boxes. But they're little gift boxes. They're like something you would wrap a gift in and give to someone else. What we're asking is that every family, that as God leads you, this is not a high-pressure deal. We're not a high-pressure church when it comes to anything, specifically when it comes to finances. That's not how we do things. The Word of God says that God is looking for those who are cheerful givers. And if you're not a cheerful giver and you feel like your arm's been twisted into giving, you're not going to be cheerful. And that's not genuine worship. That is worshiping not in spirit and truth. We want to worship in spirit and truth in the way that we do this. We're asking you to consider taking one of these boxes and maybe placing it in a prominent place in your home and you and your family praying about what God may lead you to give to go out towards missions, world missions. Our EBC Go is what we call it here uh, at our church. But to come and take one of these down at the front, there's some of them in the back. And and what we're going to do is... We're going to ask our children to get involved in this. This isn't just going to be daddy's just going to write a check. I want Trinity and I want Luke both to consider what they might give as a first gift to the Christ child. To give to what God is going to do in, 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 in taking the gospel all over the world. And so this is a response. And what we're going to do is on December 23rd, as you take these out today, and maybe for those that aren't here today, they'll come and get them next week and You take them out, you pray about it over a couple of weeks and what God puts on your heart, you and your family, you put that in the box. And then on the 23rd, when we have our big country Christmas, we're also going to be celebrating through baptisms that day. But part of our worship that day is all of our kids are going to be in here with us. I say kids, kindergarten and up are going to be in here with us. We as a family, we're going to come and we're going to lay these at the altar before King Jesus as we worship him, and we invite you to join us in that, on that day of celebration on the 23rd, bringing your first gift. Hope and I are excited as we were talking about this because what we know is what we give, you know how a lot of times you give gifts and you give gifts to your kids, and usually within about two or three weeks, it's junk and they don't use them anymore, and you're stepping on them in the middle of the night. What Hope and I were talking about the other night as we were talking about getting to do this, is we were talking about these are the kinds of gifts that are going to last for eternity, right? When we go towards, use these things towards these kinds of things of, 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 of water for people that need it, of the gospel for those that have never heard. I mean, it's just an incredible opportunity. So we invite you to consider being a part of the first gift here on the 23rd. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me as we pray together. Our purpose as a church is about extending the kingdom of God. It's about loving God continually in many different expressions of worship. Continually means it's not just one time on Sunday morning. It's in the way that you live your life. The shepherds made it their priority. Mary worshipped with quiet reflection. 
The Magi eagerly sought Jesus and in response to his majesty presented him with financial gifts. It's all about worship. This morning, I, I wonder if maybe if your heart has been distracted, this would be a time where you would, as we've been saying, recalibrate that Christmas spirit within you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for you being the greatest gift giver in giving us the gift of your son, Jesus. Lord, you gave us your first and your best. Now, Lord, as a, as a response, I pray, God, that we would give you our very first and the best part of our lives, not the leftovers. Lord, the very best of our time, the very best, Lord, of our finances, the very best of our talents. May that be the response that we have, Lord. We as a church, Lord, we want to be about loving you continually. Expressing our worship to you by the way that we live our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that, that we, your people, would be responsive to it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.